Let this be written for a future generation, that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. I want to say hi to everybody at all of our campuses, anybody joining us online. Really happy Memorial Day weekend. I'm so glad you're with us. You know, in ancient Greece, when it was time for the Olympic Games, athletes from all around the country would be handed a torch with the Olympic flame. And everybody would run their leg of the race, and then they would hand off the torch to another runner, and eventually that torch would make it all the way to the altar at Olympia. Other flames came and went, this one must never be extinguished. It was like a sacred thing to them. It, it expressed, they said, uh, the light of spirit and knowledge and life that gets passed down from one generation to the next to the next. They were keepers of the flame. They were passers of the torch. And there's a sense in which from the very beginning, God hands his dream of community, of shalom to a human being and ask them to hand it on to somebody else and then to somebody else. It's the job of every generation. The question God always poses to his people is, will you guard the flame? Will you pass the torch? It does not happen automatically or casually. This is Memorial Day weekend. We remember and honor those who sacrificed themselves for our sakes. My mom had three brothers. Their names, this is true, were Hack, Jack, and Mac. And they all three served in World War II. And that story would be told very often of how they all went off to serve their country. And all of us, there were 21 of us cousins, we were so proud to be part of that family. We were so proud to honor that memory. And you've had somebody that's passed the torch to you. Maybe it was a parent or a teacher. Somebody saw gifts and potential in you. Somebody gave you responsibility. Somebody nurtured your faith. Somebody cheered you on. That's why we're here. So the question is, the question is, do I have people in my life that I'm passing the torch to? Who am I investing myself in? And how am I doing at it? Understand, as we talk about this, this is not just an individual deal. The future of our church, the future of any church, depends on the passing of the torch. So this weekend, we're going to learn how to do it from a great story in the Bible. One day there's a prophet named Elijah, and he's getting instructions from the Lord when he hears this from God. Anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Now, how do you think Elijah feels when he hears those words, to succeed you as prophet? It means he's getting old, and his time is getting short. A couple of weeks ago, when our team thought it would be cool if I jumped out of a plane for a sermon illustration, one of their reasons was, after all, it's not like I'm only 30 years old, and if the chute doesn't open, the church would be missing decades of ministry for me. At a certain point, the tire just doesn't have that much tread left, they said to me. They're a very creative team. They don't care about me a whole lot, but they're real creative, and it's worth taking the risk. Torch passing is always an act of humility. It's a reminder. I'm only here for a brief time. Elijah is going to have to give up being the number one prophet. Elijah is going to have to acknowledge that a younger person will take over. And that person might go farther than Elijah ever did. And Elijah does what God asks. It's an act of humility and servanthood. 
he finds Elisha plowing a field with 12 yoke of oxen. Elijah goes up to him. Now, of course, everybody knew who Elijah was. And in a symbolic gesture, Elijah takes off his mantle. That's a kind of a cape and drapes it around Elisha's shoulders. The idea of assuming the mantle of leadership, you might have heard that phrase, comes from this passage. It's a very visible way of saying, I believe in you. I want to invest in you. I want to give responsibility to you. I want your flame to burn brighter. And then one day you will do this on your own. I want to pass the torch to you. Now, you need to know one reason why this might have been a kind of a daunting thing for Elijah to do. I mentioned Elisha, the younger man, was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. Now, in that day, most families were poor. They might own a chicken or two, but probably nothing bigger than that. To own a single oxen was quite rare. To have 12 teams of them, that's 24 oxen, was almost unheard of. It means that Elisha's family were people of immense wealth. It's like his dad owns Walmart and he's going to take over. So what Elijah is asking here would involve enormous sacrifice, great downward mobility of Elisha. Now, the Bible says nothing about Elijah's background. Most likely he was from a poor family. So becoming a prophet wasn't a hard choice. He didn't have many job alternatives. Elisha is another story. He's got it made. He will inherit from his father a way of life that would keep him comfortable to the end of his days. Elijah is supposed to ask this young man to give all that up for a line of work, being a prophet, that will involve poverty, rejection, the opposition of stubborn, powerful rulers who will want him dead. And it would have been so easy for me if I was Elijah to say, God, you made a mistake. Elisha is never going to say yes to this. He's not going to walk away from a great future to follow a prophet like me. He's got too many attractive other possibilities. You got the wrong guy. I'm not even going to ask. But Elijah does ask, and the world gets changed. Now, I want to say, all of you at our church who invite others to get into servanthood, to volunteer, to be involved in ministry, never say no for anybody. No matter how resourced or important they might look, you never know who is just one conversation away from becoming a keeper of the flame, a passer of the torch. Harvard researcher named Robert Putnam has written the most definitive analysis of American community life in the last several decades. And he poses this question. When volunteers are asked how they happen to get involved in their particular activity, the most common answer is, somebody asked me. Conversely, when people are asked why they didn't volunteer or donate, guess what the number one answer is? Nobody asked me. Elijah Asked. God told him. He did it. That changed everything. Elisha's response is very interesting. He asks to say goodbye to his parents. Let me go say goodbye to my folks. Now, this is a little ambiguous. In Middle Eastern cultures where it was extremely rude to ever say an outright no, that could be a way of asking more, for more time to think about it. It could even be a polite way of getting out of it. And Elijah's response is, Go back. Talk to your parents. What have I done to you? In other words, I will not use guilt or pressure on you. This must be your freely made decision. What have I done to you? I say this because some of you will have heard of churches that use guilt or pressure or obligation to try to force people to volunteer. 
uh, the pastor of a church trying to get Sunday school teachers will often say something like this, we need more Sunday school teachers around here. And then if nobody responds, the next week he says, if you really care about children, you will volunteer. And then if nobody responds, the next week he will say, you know, statistics say most first graders who don't have a Sunday school teacher end up in jail. And then if nobody responds, the next week he says, Here's little Debbie. She's a first grader with no Sunday school teacher. Debbie, tell us about life in jail. Now, Elijah won't do that. What he says to Elisha is, I will not force you at all. You decide. In, in God's community, that's the way it works. And amazingly enough, Elisha says, yes, I'll give up all of this wealth and opportunity. Elisha volunteers. And as he does, he comes to realize he is not doing Elijah a favor. This is the great adventure he was born for. See, in a church, the idea of serving, volunteering, is not asking people to do favors. Anytime anybody says yes to God's call to serve, they are going to experience how God has given them spiritual gifts. They're going to realize what it means to make a difference in the eternal destiny of another person. That's the great adventure that we were all made for. And so that moment, anytime somebody says yes to serve, needs to be marked. And Elijah and Elisha do. They have a party. We get a real brief account in these verses of an encounter, an event that would have taken some time. Elijah and Elisha would have planned this big party, this big celebration together. They have a big barbecue. I'll tell you how big. Do you have any idea how much meat is in a side of beef? Uh, somebody that I know was hunting for elk not long ago, and they said they got 300 pounds of meat from an elk. An ox is bigger than that. Imagine how many people you could feed with two oxen. So this is a huge feast for everybody in the village. All the people are going to celebrate together with Elisha. They're going to affirm his decision. They're going to tell him, we're going to pray for you. Anytime anybody volunteers to serve, it's worth a celebration. And then we're told in the text that Elisha sets out to follow Elijah and becomes his attendant, his servant. And here we see the humility of Elisha. He is giving up his privileged position as a wealthy heir to become a servant, a learner, a follower, just a gopher at first. Here's a question for all of us torch passers. Do I have a teachable spirit? When you're looking for somebody to pass the torch to, look for somebody who is coachable and humble, who is eager to grow, who really wants to learn, who doesn't just go around thinking they know it all. Part of what made the relationship between Elijah and Elisha work, this is true in a church, it's true in any place where people are serving, was humility on both sides. Elijah did not cling to being the only prophet, the guy in charge, and Elisha didn't demand to be the star. They became pastors of the torch. And this relationship between the two of them went on for a long time. It's a beautiful story. We might wonder over time, is there ever any jealousy or competition between them? Do they start to compare each other? Who's the better prophet? Who do people respond to more? That often happens in human relationships. Now, here's the beauty of their relationship. When God was getting ready to take Elijah, he said to Elisha, remain behind while I, Elijah, go to a place called Bethel. And the writer wants us to know from the outset what's going on here. 
We don't know how much is clear to Elijah or Elisha, but they both know something's up. They both know Elijah is not long for this world. He's about done. And he begins this strange journey. You can take a look at it on a map. Elijah begins in Gilgal, which is real near to Jericho. And he says to Elisha, you stay here. I'm going on a trip. Elisha gives a real strong response. Nothing doing. As surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. So he follows Elijah to Bethel. That's way inland. Bethel is almost half the way from the Jordan to the Mediterranean. And then the same speeches are, are repeated precisely. Elisha, you stay here. I got to go on a journey. And Elisha says, nothing doing. You go, I go. They go to Jericho. That's all the way back near the Jordan. And then the same speeches recur. Why this journey? Well, Elijah clearly is trying to shake Elisha. Maybe Elijah wants to face death alone. Maybe he's afraid this will be too much for Elisha to handle. Maybe it's a kind of a test. The text doesn't say. But the point of this little journey is Elisha proves to be a follower of unshakable loyalty. He will not abandon Elijah. Whatever Elijah has to face, Elisha says, I will face it with you. Not only is there no jealousy or rivalry or comparing or competition, when the passing of the torch is happening rightly, a kind of bond, a kind of loyalty develops between the one who is letting go and the one who is taking hold, where they experience this extraordinary oneness and community that co-servants know. They will rejoice together. They will mourn together. And some of you know what that is like. And gang, it is it's amazingly deep. And finally, these two come to the Jordan River. And they know now their time together is very short. And Elijah takes his mantle, that same one he spread over Elisha so long ago, and he wraps it up, and he strikes the River Jordan. And just as the water once separated a long time ago at the Dead Sea for Moses and at the Jordan for Joshua, so now it does for Elijah. And the two of them cross over on dry land. And the idea in the text is they leave the ordinary world for an extraordinary event. And Elijah does a wonderful thing. This is a great lesson for those of us in the volunteer torch-passing business. He doesn't give Elisha an order. He doesn't offer him a lot of advice. Let me tell you what to do. He asks him a question. Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? And if you're looking at this in your Bible, you might want to underline this. This is a great question. Torchbearers in the church, in volunteer communities, even at work, any place, need to ask this question on a regular basis. What do you need to soar? What's lacking for you to be effective? How can I help you? Now also, like all great questions, and torch bearers are question askers. This question is a bit of a test. It's kind of like when God asked Solomon, what do you want? Elisha could name something selfish. The prospect of inheriting something does that sometimes. Years ago, our daughter was real little. I was teaching her how to ride a bike. And she pointed to a band-aid that was on my arm and asked me, Daddy, did you get hurt? She has a real tender heart. And I thought, well, this will touch her. And so I explained, no, I got my blood drawn in a checkup recently to get a life insurance policy. 
Daddy did that to take care of our family because I love you. If I die, if something happens to Daddy, you get $250,000. And her eyes got real wide, and she said, a piece? Now, Elijah has a request, and Elisha answers, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. That's an interesting uh, language. At first, it sounds like Elisha is saying, however much of the Holy Spirit you have, I want to have twice as much. I want to have two times as much power as you and do twice as many miracles. That's not the idea at all. Elisha here is using what ancient readers would immediately have recognized as inheritance language in the ancient world. For instance, in the Bible, in Deuteronomy 21, it says that the heir, the firstborn son, is to receive a double portion of the inheritance, a double portion of the estate. In other words, to ask for a double portion is to ask to be somebody's heir. Elisha even uses this explicit word, let me inherit a double portion. He's not asking for two helpings of the Spirit. He's saying, I want to be your heir. I've watched your life. I've watched your servanthood. I've watched your ministry. I've seen your devotion. I've seen the difference God has used you to make. And I believe so much in what you are doing. I want to carry on the work after you're gone. But I cannot do this on my own, not my own strength, my own intelligence. I need the help of God, God's Spirit. See, and this is real important for torchbearers. Serving God is not about what you can do. Not your IQ, not your network, not your strength, not your talents. It's about what God wants to do in you. Have you ever read about the kind of people God used in the Bible? Remember hearing Rick Warren talk about this one time. Abraham was on Medicare. Moses had a speech impediment. Jacob was a thief. Joseph was an ex-con. Rahab was a sex worker. David was a homicidal adulterer. Elijah was bipolar. John the Baptist ate bugs. Thomas doubted. Gideon panicked. Martha stressed out. Jonah was directionally challenged. Samson was relationally challenged. Zacchaeus was vertically challenged. Jeremiah was too young. Sarah was too old. Noah got drunk and Peter couldn't swim. These are the people through whom God changed the world. So here's the question, what's your excuse? Any one of these people in the Bible could have said no to God's call because they all felt inadequate because they all were inadequate. Think of what they would have missed. See, serving is not about what you or I can do or cannot do. It's about what God wants to do in and through us. True story from one of our volunteers, I'll call Mary. She started leading a group of sixth grade girls 20 years ago. And she got kind of frustrated after a while because some of those girls would be passing notes to each other while she was leading the group. People will do that. People do that during ser sermons sometimes. Really ticks me off. Anyway, she was going to her car one time and she saw two of them in the parking lot and they were waving at her with real big grins. She got in the car and she's thinking, I'm furious with both of you, you note passing girls. And then she said it was like God said to her, you know what? Your job is to show up. I will use you if you just show up. And so she made a promise to God, I'll just show up, God. Even when it's frustrating, even when it's hard, I will not give up, I will show up. Not long ago, she ran into a woman about her age at our church. And the woman said to her, you know, you probably don't remember, but my daughter was in your group many years ago. Mary did remember. That woman's daughter was one of the note-passing girls. 
And the woman went on. My daughter has decided to become a missionary. She is serving God in a difficult cross-cultural setting. And you were a big part of why. And Mary was like, oh yeah, I could see missionary written all over her in the sixth grade. That little note passer. I just got back from being in Peru with some of the folks on our team. Uh, in a few weeks, in June, on Father's Day, we're going to tell you all about it. We're all going to have the chance to change the life of a child who right now is growing up in poverty. Uh, Nancy and I are doing that with a little girl right now, and it is thrilling. But I want to say, we also get the chance to change the lives of children right here in the Bay Area where there is so much spiritual poverty. And we can forget, because we're part of a great church, week after week, year after year, these are real little people with real little faces and real little souls that face a real huge eternity. And we can give them the greatest gift in the universe, the love of God, a relationship with Jesus. And we thought you might like to hear from a few of these real little people. So take a look. I like to play with my teachers. I just like to hang out with the teachers and then talk about my week. They take care of us. When I attended Starting Point, they talked about the importance of serving and giving back, and that is when I first signed up to be a teacher. They gave me uh, a reason to smile. I've served with the three and four-year-olds for a long time, and they bring so much excitement and joy to my Sunday mornings. I don't have uh, much spiritual knowledge, but they walk in every day with excitement to learn about Jesus and to sing. When the parents uh, come and bring their kids and drop them off, I give them the chance to enjoy a kid-free hour. It's only one hour out of my whole week, and it might impact their spiritual journey for the rest of their life. I went to Sunday school as a kid, and now I get to serve with kids every Sunday, and it's, it's fun to see it come full circle. The childlike faith that is talked about in the Bible is an important reminder to me, and I get to see it in action. Even if you don't see, you can still believe it. Whenever you pray, God hears you. Jesus always loves us. As a soon-to-be parent, I hope that one day someone will invest their time and energy into my children. Every one of those little faces comes attached to an eternal soul. And you can change them. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to be cool. At the core of serving and torch passing is just showing up. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's hard. What matters is you are serving a cause greater than yourself. This is from George Bernard Shaw. This is the true joy in life, the being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one, the being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievances, complaining the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die. 
Life is no brief candle for me. It is a sort of splendid torch which I have got a hold of for the moment. And I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to future generations. And that's, that's what Elisha is asking for. Double portion of your spirit. Let me inherit that. Elijah responds, you ask for a difficult thing. Yet if you see me, what I'm taking from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. In other words, Elijah is saying, I'm not in charge of the distribution of the Holy Spirit. In a deeper sense, we sometimes talk about somebody choosing their successor. In the final view, no mere human being can do that, only God. Elijah can help and shape and encourage, but ultimately, Elisha's work will be between him and God. It is that way for all of us. Elijah gives him this little hint. If you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise not. So there's this great tension in this moment. Elisha is going to lose Elijah. He doesn't know whether his ministry is just beginning or about to end. The text says they were walking and talking together. I'd love to see that moment. We don't know how long it lasted. They're remembering what God had done in the past. They're wondering what might God do in the future. And then suddenly, God sends the delivery service. A chariot of fire appears, and horses of fire are, are drawing it, and it separates them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. What a moment for Elijah. It's like the ultimate uber experience. Actually, since the chariot was going up to heaven, it's more like lift. And Elisha sees it all. And he's staggered by, the, sorry about that, I apologize, I will never do that again. He's staggered by the spiritual reality beyond words. And he realizes this means that he's going to carry on Elijah's work because he got to see. And then it hits him. Elijah is gone, his friend is gone, his teacher is gone. And he tears his clothes. And that culture is a sign of tremendous grief and sorrow. And there on the ground lies the mantle. God and Elijah leave it behind. And it is his reminder of the torch that has now been passed on to him, that he will never be alone. And we're told in the text, he picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. And he holds that mantle of his friend. And he thinks, that all, thinks of all that Elijah did. And it's time to return now to the ordinary world. And he hits the Jordan with that mantle. And, and, and here's what he said. This is in verse 14 of the text. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Not yet my God. Not yet. He's still leaning on the faith of his mentor. But then God gives him the gift. And just as the water parted for Moses and Joshua and Elijah, now the water parts for him. Now he knows. Now he knows. Now God will be with him. And he goes on to an extraordinary life of serving and ministry. He will save the kingdom of Israel. He will save a widow's life. He saves a leper named Naaman. He delivers an enemy army into the hands of the king. And when the king says, shall I kill him? Elisha says, no, throw him a party and make friends with him. Not just that. A little later on, we're told that Elisha is meeting with a company of prophets. In other words, just as Elijah built into Elisha, now Elisha is building into another generation. 
So the torch will be passed yet again. Doesn't stop with me. I got it from somebody else. I will give it to somebody else. In fact, Elisha's ministry will anticipate another prophet who is to come, who will heal lepers, who will provide food, who will raise a man from the dead. Elisha is preparing the world for Jesus. And all of this happened because one day, one man stopped beside a farmer plowing a field and offered him a mantle. Somebody passed the torch. So are you doing that? God's dream really does rest on this. I want to say one last word. I know many of you here devote yourselves to passing on the torch. I want to say this as a pastor, also just as a person and a parent. You may wonder sometimes, like, am I crazy for doing this? I already got so much work to do and bills to pay and kids to raise and errands to run and schedule to keep. Now I'm going to add serving, volunteering to this list and I'm not getting paid and it's hard and it takes energy and I'm already, am I crazy? And you serve week after week in nurseries. And you work in classrooms with little children. Or you meet week after week with students and you're trying to figure out how do I pass on a double portion of the Holy Spirit to young people who are already dealing with like a double portion of hormones. Or you shepherd a little flock of adults and they have adult-sized problems. Or, or you try to help strangers feel at home who don't know how the church deal works. Somebody recently was telling me about a new person at our church who said, you know, I came to a church service and people stuck around afterwards and prayed for me for free. They were amazed at free prayer. It's part of what we offer. Some people have never been prayed for in their life and you can be the first. Now, maybe you're serving, you're volunteering, your ministry work is flourishing, going great. Maybe you face huge challenges. Maybe you get discouraged. I just want to remind you of the significance of what you do. You are doing what God himself does. You are freely choosing to devote yourself, to spend yourself for those that God loves so much. From a human perspective, God's whole dream, the church, has continued to exist from its first day to this day, right here in the Bay, because in every generation, somebody made the decision that you are faced with now. I will pass on the torch. I will hand off the mantle. From a human perspective, the whole dream, God's whole plan of community, is one generation from extinction unless somebody chooses what you have chosen. Somebody pays the price that you have paid. So it is indescribably important that we all understand this. It is a noble thing that you do. And one day God is going to pull you aside and you will receive the greatest commendation a human being can know. Well done, good and faithful servant. You will receive the honor of heaven. You will delight the heart of God. You are not crazy. You are a passer of the torch. You are a keeper of the dream.